Welcome, everyone, to Buy, Hold, Sell Special Report on social media censorship. I'd like to bring on a very special guest, James Breslow, civil rights attorney based in Pacific Palisades, California, and also the author, uh, accomplished author of many, many op-ed articles with FoxNews.com as well as the Epoch Times and also the host of the Hidden Truth podcast show that you can find on all of your favorite podcast channels. James, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd, great to be here. Absolutely. James, you wrote a very interesting article I'm very intrigued about regarding corporate censorship. And it was perfect because it really, you had your own experience, but it also uh, dovetails to what the breaking news of the day is with Facebook and Instagram reinstating former President Donald Trump. And you had mentioned how it's just a couple of instances that you can actually see that people are being censored and blocked entirely from these social media channels. I get former President Trump because the, the argument was about the January 6th uh, insurrection that took place. But with you, though, you had your own personal experience. Can you explain that to the listeners and viewers, what actually happened to you? Yeah, I mean, it's no conspiracy theory what's going on. I mean, you know, and I'm, I'm one of many that have come forward to talk about it. But, you know, I'm kind of an interesting example because I'm kind of a peon uh, compared to some of the big ones that have gotten blocked like like Donald Trump. So I think my case really demonstrates the breadth of the censorship that, you know, is going on because they're not just looking at the big guys. They're looking at everyone, including me with my Hidden Truth podcast, which, uh, as you said, is a, it's a regular podcast, but we would also post it up on YouTube. And my YouTube numbers were, were growing pretty nicely. I was getting up to about 8,000 followers uh, uh, of my weekly show. And then suddenly for the first time, we had episodes taken down and it was regarding COVID-19. And I think that that's been one of the biggest areas of censorship uh, is anything that goes against the narrative of COVID being, you know, the worst thing to ever, you know, hit, hit Earth and for the vaccine to be the greatest thing ever to hit Earth, which both things I think are demonstrably false. But if you weren't following that narrative, you were running into trouble. So I had three separate episodes taken down. To this day, you cannot find them. You could find them on, on podcast apps, which is interesting. That censorship doesn't seem to quite hit, say, Apple Podcasts as much. It may have. I haven't experienced it, but absolutely experienced it on YouTube owned by Google. So I interview a former University of Wisconsin professor. He was an advisor to Congress. He actually had some official position uh, on advising a particular committee. Accomplished you know, medical doctor at the University of Wisconsin, no slouch of a university. And this was about soon after the vaccines had come out. And he was basically advising people that if you've already had COVID, that means you already have the antibodies and you should be very cautious about also getting the vaccine. There was some report or study that he had conducted or read that the interaction between having the existing antibodies and then on top of that, getting the vaccine can have some very dangerous adverse reactions. That's all he came on to report. And YouTube took that down did not allow people to get the information that if you already had COVID, you may want to think twice about getting the vaccine. Right. Fauci specifically had talked before about, oh, the, the best immunity you can get is actually having had the flu or COVID, obviously. So if you have that, you don't need the vaccine. So that was example number one. And I'll, I'll go on to the other two, unless you got questions about that one. Well, no, I mean, with that, though, you have a, a situation where you're just making this one mention, which 
clearly seems more of a medical uh, hypothesis that's there and you would think would be more helpful. But what I really would like to dig down on is why do you think that that would be the case? I mean, forget the, the I get the conservative side. People think, OK, you have some younger moderators that are there. Maybe they're not as philosophically conservative. So therefore, they think that they're going to play God and they're just going to shut this down and try to stop that flow of information. But from a corporate standpoint, though, from the entire corporation, these businesses are for profit entities. I mean, you would think, right, that somebody at the higher end, like Jack Dorsey, when he was in charge of Twitter, would be more inclined to say, hey, guys, we got to let this go through because realistically, there's nothing that's being that's promoting violence. So therefore, let's think about the bottom line. Why do you think tech companies are more focused on the philosophy of things rather than the money aspect? Yeah, well, I think that Musk is helping to expose that as, as it turns out, there's an unholy alliance between governments and these huge mega you know, uh, corporations in, in Silicon Valley and big tech and so on. And we're seeing that government was regularly in touch with these social media apps and alerting them that, hey, watch out for this, watch out for this, take down this, take down that. And the government was trying to control uh, this pandemic, right? And we handed over our lives basically to the government under all these emergency orders to take care of us. We see what they're doing in China. The government chooses to there to take care of people. Well, we just locked them all in their apartments. Well, we did a little bit of that in America, uh, but not for too long, but we've done a lot of We've done a lot of other nonsense. And part of that was basically them trying to control the information. Um, you know, come to me. We are the source of information, uh, uh, correct information. Everything else is false. And I believe that the reason that these were censored is because they were doing it to curry favor with the U.S. government. And I think that's what Musk is, is, is revealing. And therefore, that does give you your profit motive because you don't want the government coming after you. Uh, you don't want the government modifying uh, is it Section 235. I, I, I hope I'm getting that right. But, you know, the, the one they always cite that, that gives immunity to these um, various social media sites. They don't want to get their immunity messed with. So you, you better do what the government tells you to do. Well, that's huge then, because then what you're saying is that the federal government is willing to weaponize its own power because they can threaten to say, okay, guys, we're going to regulate your industry unless you comply and you do what we're trying to tell you to do. That's not that's not the, the foundation of the United States of America. I mean, if that is indeed the actual case and you, you're probably onto something here, I could see why these, these companies are saying, look, let's start censoring, let's start blocking this. But now with Trump coming back into the fold here, I would think that this also will mean that YouTube will bring back the former president. I mean, can we assume that going forward, especially now that COVID still is lingering there and you have a big presidential election coming up next year, but are we going to be seeing more censorship or do you think Elon Musk is now setting the tone saying, look, guys, it's freedom of speech. This is what we're going to be doing from here on out. Mm, yeah, I, I think that the government's going to be a lot more cautious now about what they do now that the microscope has been put on. And, and again, thank God for Elon Musk. Um, you know, he appears to have made a, a pretty horrible investment, but it, it also seems pretty clear that that's not what his intention was. I mean, he, he truly was, I think, blowing a bunch of money to try to fight for free speech. And it's just funny to see the left suddenly turn on him um, and be so afraid that, oh my gosh, you know, information is now going to be 
able to come out on all sides to say the climate change issue or on COVID or anything else, but they really fear free speech. But yeah, I, I think now that government officials, to the extent that they are working back channels and it's all getting exposed now, that they're going to fear that it could get exposed. Also, I mean, you know, there, there could be some serious First Amendment lawsuits over this. The funny thing is, is that people were defending these companies and saying that, oh, well, they're private companies, they can do whatever they want. First Amendment doesn't apply to them. But once you've got the government, you know, telling them to do these things, uh, then it does become a First Amendment issue. So I got to think that we're looking at some significant lawsuits coming against YouTube and Facebook and the others. That's a monster, monster thing. And, and you're probably right, because I can see class action lawsuits taking place, especially against something like like uh, with YouTube against Google, because if you're going to see people that want to express their own their own message, they might be promoting a business of their own. If that's the case, especially in a in a world where streaming is becoming really the the ideal choice for for the household to obtain information. If that's the case, yeah, I would imagine that if you start blocking a lot more people, you're going to have a lot of lawyers out there actually foaming at the mouth to go after these big companies. But with that said, finally, I, I do want to ask you, though, with the election coming up next year and now with with Google and, and YouTube and I'm sure they'll lift their, their ban on Trump going forward. But for individuals, though, I mean, do they have any what's their recourse? I mean, do they have anything? Are there are there pro bono lawyers out there looking to take on these types of cases? Because I'd imagine they're tough to prove. Yeah. You know, again, you're talking about a private individual suing a private company and the private company basically saying, hey, we've got our our rules and, and guidelines and yeah. you you ran afoul of our guidelines. You know, I would also have to prove damage. Right. Or, you know, for it to have any value for me, if I'm bringing the case as the small potato guy, you know, what am I suing them for exactly? Just to put my videos back up? You know, it doesn't right. really pencil out. Uh, class action. Class actions are always tough because everybody has to be similarly situated. And here you would say that, well, every posting was different. So, you know, maybe you could put a get together class action of all people that were, you know, got censored on trying to put forward COVID information. They're private companies. For the most part, they are permitted to decide what goes on their site or not. However, you got two exceptions to that. One is to the extent the government is working together with them. Now you've got a potential First Amendment issue. And then you've also got this Section 235 protection where they're not supposed to be publishers. The whole point that we gave them this immunity to any, you can't sue YouTube or Facebook or the others for libel. Okay. So, you know, New York Times says something bad about you. You can sue the New York Times for libel. Somebody posts something that you don't like about you on Facebook. No, they have immunity against you suing. And that was a very important thing that Congress gave them to allow them to become so big. But in exchange for that, they're supposed to allow everything on site. That, that's why we gave you that. So you don't get to have it both ways. You don't get to be the New York Times and have immunity. You either choose to be just a platform that anybody can post on and we don't regulate it, or you can regulate it, in which case you shouldn't have that protection. So that's what's in Congress right now trying to figure out how to address this because no one anticipated, I don't think, that even though we gave them immunity to allow anyone to post on there, that they would nonetheless regulate speech to the extent they have. Have you been able to freely post across all social media platforms now or are you still you still have those strikes against you? As far as YouTube goes, I got first a warning and then I got uh, two strikes. And as a result of the, the two strikes, um, my channel went down for a week. 
uh, as the penalty. And then guess what I did after it came up? I got very cautious about what I put up because I'm trying to build a business. So be damned if I'm going to start putting up COVID information anymore. So it totally worked when it came to me. They warned me. I did it again. By the way, it was the actress Sally Kirkland who just wanted to come on and talk about the side effects that she experienced as a result of getting the vaccine. Got a strike. Then I had the attorney representing LA firefighters in their lawsuit against vaccine mandates. He's allowed to present his view in court, but he's not allowed to present his view on YouTube. I got a strike <laughs> for that. So that's when the channel was taken down, taken down for a week. I'm back up. However, and you hear this all the time from, from people in my situation, from that point forward, my followers barely grew. As far as the number of people following my YouTube channel, it capped out at like 7,800 and it's barely moved since. And this was over a year ago. So I had really? kind of a st steady climb going like this. And ever since they took it out. So for sure, they are not funneling people to my channel. So even though they put me back up, anybody searching for a topic that I might have been covering, they're not showing on my channel. I, I was put on some type of special list. That is incredible. That's awful. That's awful. Yeah. I, I would imagine, especially building a brand. I mean, that's you, we do rely on these social media sites and uh, that's that doesn't seem fair at all. So listen, I want to keep you here after the break, actually, because we'll continue this talk on the, on the social media censorship, but that you also have some opinions on what's taking place in California with the reparations, particularly in San Francisco. I really like to get your thoughts there and also really talk about on the real estate side where you have the protections for, for some of these tenants. So many hot button issues taking place right now. Love it. You can stick with us there, James. And, and we'll be right back after the break. Please stay with us. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Travis Carmichael, the seemingly social financier who successfully left behind a blue-collar Baltimore upbringing by transforming himself into an elite hedge fund manager branded with a sterling reputation for creating enviable profit machines for many of the world's most powerful people. His success proved costly as he became incessantly vulnerable after a series of careless mistakes and poor decisions originated from his love affair with the brilliant and stunningly beautiful Russian operative Naomi Knight through a roller coaster journey of greed, mystery, sex, and murder, Travis and Naomi's metamorphosis from scorching Wall Street couple to unrecoverable bliss is forever locked for posterity as one of New York City's most interesting tales. Coming to you from former Wall Street hedge fund executive and frequent contributor on CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg, and CNN, I, Todd Schoenberger, feature a historical novel inspired by true events, including but not limited to those who possess impenetrable dreams of Manhattan wealth and the consuming lifestyle it perpetuates. Please pick up your copy of No Lie Lives Forever, available on Amazon and finer bookstores near you. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called 
Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this special report from Buy, Hold, Sell. I have with us James Bresso. He's a civil rights attorney based out of California. He's also a, a writer for, for the Epoch Times, as well as he's been published on FoxNews.com and also a frequent guest on CNN. James, I really want to, we were just talking about social media censorship, and that is a hot button uh, a topic, obviously. It's a headline news story, especially with the former president, with Donald Trump coming back to Instagram and Facebook. But there's also some other key political stories that are taking place that have been passed through and they aren't censored. And that one of those is reparations that are taking place in California. The big story right now is in San Francisco. There is a discussion in San Francisco of paying uh, African-Americans $5 million each for reparations. I want to get your thoughts. You're in California. My question is, where's this money coming from? I mean, I would imagine in a state especially in an area, I know that there's big dollars that are flowing through the tech side, but $5 million, I mean, is is that reasonable? Huh. Well, yes, we are the wealthiest uh, state in the country, and we're also the highest taxed state, state. So you can imagine that means we've got piles and piles of cash, but California has an endless uh, list of ways to blow that money instead of spending it on the essentials, because California ranks toward the bottom when you compare us to other states in crime, homelessness, quality of our schools, quality of our roads. Our energy prices are higher than anywhere else. So you've got this disconnect between massive amounts of tax revenue and the basic essential services that you would expect from government simply don't exist because they're constantly coming up with ideas like this. You know, we blow tons of money trying to change the temperature of the earth unilaterally. California's decided on its own, we're, we're going to accomplish this. And California also decided on its own, it's going to solve the systemic problems from, you know, years of, of slavery uh, going back over 500 years and the transatlantic slave trade uh, that occurred uh, between Africa and the East Coast never made it to California. California was never a slave state, but that doesn't stop them from being the first state to seriously consider reparations. This is not a new concept. People hear about the concept of reparations comes up every 10 years or so. There's been bills in Congress that have never even come up to a vote uh, to consider this. But California, you know, it, there's a super majority here of Democrat control. Um, it, it's, it truly is a one-party state. Uh, there's no Republicans serving in government in San Francisco. There's no Republicans serving in government in Los Angeles. There's no Republicans holding any statewide office in the state uh, Senate. It's a supermajority of Democrats, so it can override any veto. 
uh, super majority on the House side. So it, it's a one party state. So they're allowed to push through all the crazy nonsense that trust me, if they could do it in DC, the Dems got control of DC in, in this way, they would be doing it at that level. So keep an eye on what's coming to California. It will be replicated in, in, in DC um, if, if they can. So there's two things going on in California when it comes to reparations. There's a statewide task force for it. And then cities are looking into it. And even small cities are looking into it. Um, you know, it was like an issue on in city council elections in November is cities wanting to get involved in reparations. Wow. So that's incredible. So, so the California task force uh, put together by Newsom, and I think it has nine members. Uh, eight of the nine are black, uh, deciding whether or not black people should get money from everyone else. Um, if it was a jury, you would be bounced from the jury based on that as, as obviously biased. But right. here, that just makes your, your committee more diverse because it's all black people. It's like, well, how is that diverse? Right. <laughs> it's like, well, if you're from the right category, then it's considered uh, diverse. So um, they're still in the process of studying it, but uh, San Francisco has pulled out ahead of them and actually released their report that's determined that, you know, yes, indeed, shockingly, reparations are appropriate. And they came up with all these criteria for who would qualify. Um, and ultimately, you know, you would qualify for $5 million per person. And then there's even all kinds of other things where there would be additional payments to bring your medium uh, wage income up to uh, mid-level, et cetera. I mean, it's, it, it's really wild, but there's no way the city of San Francisco can afford to pay for this. So, but, you know, the committee said, hey, look, that wasn't our job to figure out how to pay for this. You know, oh, we wow. Out, we, we figure <laughs> out how to pay for wars. We can figure yeah. out how to pay, you know, for this. So right now it's going to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and to figure out what to do with this. But coming down the pike next is going to be the same thing going to the state of California and to the state legislature to say, okay, San Francisco said 5 million each. We're saying whatever we're saying each. And by the way, it, it's, it's statewide. Do you know how they came up with that figure though of $5 million? No, I assume there's got to be something in the report. I, you know, I, I read articles about it. It is a 60 page report and I haven't read the, the, the full report uh, as to how they came up with $5 million. But there's a serious constitutional problem with this. You know, it's called the Equal Protection uh, Amendment. So you, you, you can't differ treatment based on people's skin color or ethnicity or what have you. Now, theoretically, you can pay reparations for a direct harm to someone. And, you know, if you can distinguish between people based on that, that there is direct harm. But here, I just don't see how they're possibly going to come up with any type of mechanism that ensures that, for instance, Denzel Washington is not getting his $5 million, right? right? I mean, you know, how are you? And then all the people that have also had trauma in their past, you know, you've got the Holocaust that that happened. Did it happen in America? No. But did slavery happen in California? No. Are there people in California that, you know, suffered as a result of the Holocaust? Yes, that's far more recent than, than slavery. So, you know, why shouldn't anyone who's able to show that some ancestor suffered some, some uh, harm hundreds of years ago and 
and somehow that's come home to roost now. It's just it's not the way in our legal system we usually determine payments for for harm. It has you have to show that it was directly to you. Yeah, and I would think even in the state of New York where you have registered Democrats to Republicans in a two-one majority right now. I mean, when you start looking at Democrat-controlled state governments, yeah, and you're right, it will carry over not just at the state level, but it will make its way to the federal level. This is going to be interesting, and and that's one of those topics I guarantee is not going to be censored unless you were on the extreme far you know opposed to this they will not be censored on social media channels but that just yeah. kind of segue back to that original topic yeah uh, let me well, get... what i also say is that okay you know if we're going to say that descendants of slaves are entitled to this then it's the descendants of the slave holders should be the ones paying for it why are people that just moved to this country having to pay for it why am i supposed to pay for it my family came from italy um you, you know if you're going to require this lineage on this side and by the way it's quite complicated who they decide it gets gets the payments there's like these eight different criteria that you that you potentially meet in order to get the payments here's just like someone to be eligible for reparations you have to be 18 years or older identify this is this other funny thing identify as black or african-american you know now you right. can identify as any gender that you choose and apparently according to san francisco you can self-identify as african-american uh and that's enough you don't have to actually be african-american wow um, <laughs> and, and, and then you've got you got these two other criteria that have to be met, which is uh, the other one is if you've been incarcerated by the failed war on drugs or being the direct descendant of someone who was is one of the criteria being a descendant of someone who was enslaved through U.S. chattel slavery between 1865, et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, it's a very wide breadth of people who potentially can qualify, even non-Blacks can qualify. Interesting. Well, like Rush Limbaugh said, every move is about politics. So. It's clear as day. I mean, this is a political story, but it's also for votes. So I'm sure uh, the, the the politicians in California, that is what they're really ultimately looking for. I do want to switch topics with you, though, because you do have an interesting stance on the idea of uh, tenant uh, renter, renter protections. And this is a story that isn't just California based. It's nationwide. It's really trying to protect those that rent but might be losing their their homes due to maybe lost a job because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. But now there is talk in Washington. I know the Biden administration is is also trying to come up with a plan to save people's homes uh, in the event of hardship or whatever, but it doesn't really quite end there. My question for you, though, is not just on the subject, but it seems like we are clearly moving into that socialist standpoint which is complete opposite of what the founding fathers wanted in this country. Why do you think this is the case right now here in 2023 that we're even having these discussions? Oh, well, I mean, you know, it goes without saying that we've had a big socialist movement and a big shift towards socialism in the past 20 years. Um, you know, oddly, our defeat of global socialism in, in the defeat of the Soviet Union might have actually been something that's coming back to, to hurt us because whereas socialism, communism was always seen as the enemy and it was pretty obvious to see why it's not a good direction to go in. We don't have that as a model anymore. And for our youth, they've got zero. I mean, this all blew up in 1990, you know, so you could be as much as 40 years old and not really know all of that history. So when they talk about socialism, it sounds like it's wrapped in a nice pretty package uh, mm -hmm. with uh, Bernie Sanders out there uh, in front of it. And it sells. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a reason why um, so many countries are socialist. I think, you know, if you really probably thought about it, you you know, there's probably the majority of the countries are basically socialist. So we've been the one exception. And 
surprise, surprise, most powerful country on earth, maybe there is a correlation there that because we don't do these crazy things. My favorite line of these people that want socialized medicine is like, oh, we're the only industrialized country in the world that doesn't provide free health care for everyone. I'm like, yeah, and we're also the richest and most prosperous. <laughs> what does that right. tell you? We don't do <laughs> stupid things like that. But, yeah. you know, they're, they're picking it off, you know, just industry by industry because, well, gee, health care, so important. You know, you can't deny health care and everybody's got to have free health care. But, you know, what I say is, okay, well, what's next? Then let's take over food production because even before you need health care, you need to eat. So why shouldn't we just have a total socialist control of food? And trust me, they would love that. Um, The next one is housing. You know, well, gee, you got to be able to live there. So here we go with housing. And it's a total socialist takeover of housing because, gee, it's so important. And, gee, we want people to be have a roof over their heads. And, gee, we have this homeless crisis in in L.A. and so on. And I just wrote about this in Epoch Times that it's going to come out probably uh, this week, uh, where, you know, never let a crisis go to waste, as Rahm Emanuel said. It allows you Right. It allows you to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do. Well, here they've got two crises that that they're stemming on. And this is in Los Angeles. We had an eviction moratorium due to COVID. We had all kinds of crazy interference with business during COVID. And one of them was landlords can't evict during COVID. So for three years now, you can't evict for not paying Rent. People have got three years of rent piled up and the city council is realizing, well, can't really keep this going much longer. It's pretty obvious that the pandemic is now in the past. So instead of getting rid of it, they're basically just come up with all kinds of new permanent rules to replace them. Number one, you've got until the end, you get until February of next year to repay all this back rent and, you know, and, and then finally be evicted if you don't. But now you've got all these eviction protections and they've added a just cause requirement. And watch for this. I don't know if this is part of the national movement, um, but this is growing where you must have just cause in order to evict someone. Um, in most states and in most cities, landlords it's your property. You can choose. You know, we 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 reserve the right to refuse business to anyone, right? That that adds right. you see it. Well, shouldn't that also be true with a landlord? If for whatever silly reason you decide you don't want this tenant anymore, it's your building, it's your house, it's your duplex, it's your room over the garage, you should be able to make that decision. But no more in the city of Los Angeles. Um, Now, every single property that is rented in the city of Los Angeles, other than short-term, you know, uh, Airbnb kind of stuff, you have to show just cause. Now, what I argue is, well, first of all, 99% of the time, a, a landlord's not going to be evicting a tenant unless he does have cause. If you got somebody who's a good tenant paying rent, you keep them. Yeah. Right. Right. So what are you really solving by this to begin with? But I can tell you what problems you're creating. That means every eviction is a potential lawsuit. You know, mm-hmm. oh, you're saying I was being too loud. Well, prove it and, and, and prove that, you know, you give, gave me proper notice before and so on. I mean, this is 14 pages of rules, regulations and notices and so on that that landlords in Los Angeles now must follow. This is on top of all kinds of stuff the state already requires. And now you're saying that in D.C., they're considering even more requirements. So imagine trying to be a 
a landlord in this environment. Um, so clearly the costs are going to be increased. Those are going to be passed on to the tenants. If Would you rather build in Los Angeles or the city next door? I'll build in the city next door. So you're going to have less building here. And finally, and most importantly, if, if I know it's going to be hard to kick you out, I'm going to make it very difficult as to who I decide to who I rent to. Yeah, you better show me right. a sec- yeah, you better show me a 750 credit score and a bunch of references and money in the bank before I rent to you. So it's going to be very hard for low income people to get an apartment now. Yes. That has all the opposite incentives that they say it's. Yeah, you're right about that. And I have a question though. On the eviction moratorium that took place, did the municipalities also did they stop billing the property owners on their property taxes? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I don't think so. I yeah, don't think of course so. not. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, look, a terrible time to be in business for a lot of people, but uh, landlords in particular. Oh, I can't imagine. I know. Yeah, it is. And and I would think that there's there's this isn't a story that's going to be ending anytime soon, particularly since we could be heading into a very deep recession, as many Wall Street strategists keep telling everyone. So if that's the case, you're going to have people thinking, oh, I've lost a job, and why do I have loss of income? And now I'm going to, I'm here, I'm going to be protected. Don't throw me out on the streets. And last thing the Biden administration wants is uh, additional tent cities that are taking, you know, popping up around the country, especially there in California. So, but that's, go ahead, James, you have a final word? No, I was just going to say that, yeah, it's, it, it's, they're, they're using that homeless problem to implement all this kind of stuff. We'll talk about that another time, but they they like the homeless problem because it gives them an excuse to, to put in place all this nonsense. That's the other crisis. Yeah, you're right about that. And that we will save that for another time because that's a topic that is going to remain fresh, unfortunately, for the next, uh, obviously, in this election cycle. But we'll get to that uh, some uh, on another show. But I want to thank you for being with us today. So James Bresso, for all the listeners and viewers who wish to follow James, please check out his articles at Epoch times also look at the hit look up the hidden truth podcast it is available at where you find your favorite podcast and james i really want to thank you for joining us today and on behalf of james Presso, i am todd schoenberger thank you for joining us today for buy wholesale take care Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.